Are you ready? Yes, I am. Awesome. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the John Peckman Podcast. We are live here in the Connecticut Valley School of Music and Dance Podcast Studio. Come over the bridge and look left, and we're right on the left-hand side. So we got a special guest with us tonight. A good old friend of mine who actually used to work here. In fact, they actually used to live here a long time ago, Mr. Paul Sankowitz, a.k.a. Mr. Paul Christopher. How you doing, Paul? Good, Dave. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Yes. Thanks for coming down. I caught you at the uh, at the brewery Saturday night, or is it Friday night? Sunday. Sunday, Sunday night. Afternoon, uh, Sunday afternoon. Sunday. Yep. There you go. It's my home away from home in Portland. They treat me real well. It's a it's a real nice place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Drew down there does a great job with the uh, with the uh, the brews and all that kind of stuff. So they do a lot of good stuff. So anyway, how you been? Good. Uh, yeah. I'm so doing, tell me, tell doing me. Well. That's I, I. You're playing all over the place. You, you you play down there. You play at the winery. You're you're all over the place. This is the time of year to start doing that. Yeah. Most of my stuff has been outdoor, and uh, um, now that COVID seems to be kind of on the subsiding end. Yeah. More, more places are open. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Thank God. I'm here at the Aragoni Winery, um, Concentric Brewery. I'm. Got a couple of dates all summer out at uh, Poe's Rice and Spice, which is in East Hampton, right. Connecticut. My son loves that place, man. The outdoor it, patio. It, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really it, does. The food is good. The staff is nice. The, and the, she treats the Poe, she treats her staff really well. Those kids, they, they're, they're happy to serve you. And oh, that's that's great. That's a nice that's a nice thing. Um, I'm, you know, I do some private stuff with the Polish Falcons in Middletown. Oh, okay. I've got a... Um, a benefit for the Ukraine coming up. Uh, I think it's Friday, May thirteenth. I'll be doing over there. Really? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So you know, uh, I mean, to give everybody a little context. Actually, you used to work for us here years and years ago. My God. Uh, not only that, if you remember, this is where I I actually studied voice. Yes. Wait, wait, with, I, with, for about seven and a half years. Yeah, that with, was my with, first with, experience with Liz Jones, with Elizabeth Brody Jones, right? Yes. Which I was I was lucky to work with, and it's it's you know unfortunate we've lost her. Yeah, I know that was tragically tragic. Yeah. Tragic. She was a wonderful lady, and um, I, I think it's just bettered me to have her and you know it's great to be involved here and have a music store in portland in my hometown oh well you know thanks a lot i appreciate that and uh you know we're we're here and uh been here i think we're we're uh embarking on our 39th year uh and so forth and uh it's you know ron and i bought the store back in i think 1983 somewhere around there and uh you know it's been it's been great you know it's been uh, one of my passions and and so forth and uh but uh, you know, I mean, you were you know early on. You were you were a, a big part of what we do here, as far as that. Yeah, goes. I, yeah, I worked here. Like I said, I, I I took lessons, did a lot of the recitals and stuff like that, which was which was great. Yeah. And um, at one time, I lived not in this part because there was nothing here. It was just <laughs> a garage. Yeah. But I lived over the store for a few years. Yeah. And that was that was kind of neat. Yeah. To live over a music store and down yeah. down on Main Street. And down on Main <laughs> Street. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so I've been happy to be involved here and I'm you know, I was thrilled to have you ask me to come do this. It, uh, it's just it's it's a great thing. So when you when you left here, I mean, uh, how did your musical journey begin? I know you've you know, you've been singing for a long time. You've got an awesome voice, and uh, I know you're involved. You were involved with a couple of groups. In fact, uh, one of the groups here, I think, what was it? Uh, 
the big six. The big six, right? With Ed, Ed Macenti. Ed, Ed Macenti and Who's so forth. still teaches here? Yes, he does. Yep. He's, he's been here 27 years. My Ed's God. a great guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, that was real lucky. That was maybe 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was great. It was a good band. We had a good time. Yeah, no. Joe, <laughs> Joe Bart. Oh, yeah. Um, Gordy Folsom. Yeah, yeah. You know, which was a pleasure to work with. You know, it was a great bunch of guys, and it was it was very different for me because it was the first experience that I had had where I didn't have a guitar in my hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the usual thing is, is I've always performed with a guitar in my hand. Sure, and it it takes a little getting used to. to like, what what do you do? Yeah, you know, know? Well, do you? The, the guitar to a certain extent is like a security blanket. You know, you have your, your well, it is, or your binky. It, it really <laughs> is. So. um Actually, that was probably my second experience, but uh, it, I, I was getting used to it. I um, b- before that, the previous thing that I did, I had um, I had sang in um, Elevation, which was the U two tribute band. If you remember, I got to play. Oh Bono. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but if you go way back to when it started, I actually started playing guitar back in 1978. Okay, and my inspiration to play guitar, honestly, was the um, the opening theme to uh the dukes of hazard where it had Waylon jennings and oh it yeah just showed his guitar and i always wanted it was just so cool and yeah yeah 1978 christmas my parents bought me a gibson sg copy yeah ventura yeah and a, a little fender champ amp yeah and um i started off playing electric yeah took guitar lessons with mr ned garner um at the junior high school yeah. back when they called it the junior high school. The junior high school. That's a flash in the past. Ned Garner, my God. Yep. And I studied all the way through high school with him. Nice. Um, right in school. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for singing, you know, it, I I honestly didn't do the two of them together for quite some time. My first experience with, with singing and, and liking to sing was actually an influence that my I got through my mother. My mother was a huge Everly Brothers fan. Really? Okay. And, um, she had quite a few of the records and you know, I had two brothers and a sister. It yep. was six of us in a small house and yep. my hideaway was in the attic. Uh-huh. You know, when it wasn't too hot or too cold, I was up there and there was a little um record player that yep. my dad had bought my mom, I think for the anniversary or something once really? before we even came along. It was one of those ones that the speakers fold out and you, yep. just, you yep. can carry it like a suitcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she had this um this album, which is the greatest hits album the fabulous style of the Everly Brothers. And I used to sit up there and I learned every song singing um, Don Everly's part. And after I could had them all down, I was like, why don't I learn the other one too? So I I went back and I listened along and I learned Phil's part for every song All the harmonies. Too. And everyone asked me, to like, oh, can, how do I learn to do harmony, teach harmony? I'm like, well... I, nobody ever taught me. It was right. the Everly Brothers. Yeah, yeah. So I, I tell them, take five Everly Brothers songs, learn both parts, and by the time you're done and you have them down, you'll know how to sing harmony. Absolutely. <laughs> they were one of the best in doing that. They were, and I was luck, actually lucky enough to see them four or five times, and I met them at the old Oakdale Theater. Okay, and around. Which yeah. is a pleasure, um, even at their older age in the late 80s when I saw them. Their, their voices were still, they were tight. They're yeah. still primo. Oh, nice. Um, so that was my inspiration to sing. Uh, I did a little bit of chorus work 
in you know in young school first. Okay. okay. And then most of the time it was Christmas choir with Ann Maselli at the yeah, church. I remember that. In yeah. my early teens. Um, yeah. In fact I used to play up there in the used to remember play it, up in the there in the choir loft. In the old right in the old church yep. before the fire there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I had a great time doing that because you'd start a month ahead time and you know well, Anne was meticulous and, you know, having things just right, you know, between Anne and Rose uh, used to sing. Uh, and of course, Rose used to sing a lot of the harmonies and Anne was, you know, obviously playing the organ and so forth. But, uh, you know, it was great. It was Which great was one of the nice things that she did for me was she didn't always assign me a part. She let me do what I wanted because I could follow along and sing. So sometimes I would sing with the girls doing the harmony parts from the guy section. Yeah, yeah. And she just kind of gave me free reign. And, and, and that, was, that was always fun. Yeah. Um, and then I joined chorus. They honestly, did, they didn't have men in the chorus. Really? They didn't have boys in the chorus in the okay. high school until I was a, a sophomore. Wow. When they expanded it. And who um, who was the chorus teacher? Up that there? was Ned Garner. Ned as Garner. Well. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah. Ex- he extended the chorus, yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, we went to some competitions mm-hmm. and the state things and stuff. And, and that's you know my first real performance thing with a group. Yeah. yeah. Had my first solo, I think, as a senior. Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. We I had one little part in it. Nice. You know. <laughs> nice. Um, so that that was singing, and the funny thing is, is I didn't actually play guitar and sing at the same time until in my early 20s. And it was tough because I hadn't done them together. Uh And I went to try to do them together, and I I couldn't figure it out. And if I recall, there was um, something we did downstairs... And it, I don't know if it was an official recital or something. Okay. That you um and I, and I did um, "Needle in the Damage" done from Neil Young, and it, the first time that I actually played guitar and sang publicly was in this building. Nice. So a lot of things happened for me here. in this in this building, which is why it's nice to be back. Oh man. Um. And then I didn't really play solo for a little while. Uh huh. The first band I was in was a, a version of. Uh, JD and the Buzz, where actually I played bass guitar. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which was an accident. Okay. Luke Gilmet from the uh, Great Hill Mountain Band was in a different band that was breaking up. And they had two more gigs. Their bass player had left. Yeah. They, you know, it was more of a a rock and roll with a country feel. Okay. You know, and the bass player they hired was a metal guy, showed up in spandex pants and stuff. It just <laughs> didn't fit in. So they asked me if I would play bass. They got me a bass guitar and an amp, and I spent a month learning the songs. And and Off we and did running. it. Yeah, we played two gigs, one in Hartford. It was my first uh, gig playing at the Hungry Tiger. Okay, there um, you go. Which was which was fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was a that was a good band, Luke Met. Um Greg Johnson yep. from uh, Mixed East. Signals. Yeah, 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 yeah. I worked with him quite a bit. I knew him in high school. So that was my first experience. And then JD and the Buzz, which was John Dixon. John, John Dixon, yes. Yeah, from he grew up in Portland. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bob Smeagle was our drummer. His brother Scott was our guitar player. And um, Greg Johnson was a keyboard player. They needed a bass player. And they were hard to find. And yeah. no, bass players are hard to nobody find. Nobody wanted the job. Yeah. So, so I took that job and we did that for a few years, uh-huh. which, which was fun. I, I, and I got lucky. I, um, I found a used base through a cousin that uh, it was a 73 precision nice. and, um, it was a nice instrument. So, which actually I, 
ended up selling a couple of years ago, actually to to Dan Gilmet from oh, the okay. Great Hill Mountain Band. He had borrowed it when his got stolen years ago, and it's been sitting in a closet. And I'm probably not going to play bass again. And yeah, yeah, I got it from the Smithwick family. Yeah, um, through Gary Smithwick. Um, yes, it was his his brothers. Yeah, he okay. played in a country band. Yeah, it, the back of it had the belt buckle. Oh yeah, there's um, the rash, the belt buckle the whole... rash, <laughs> yeah. and everything on it. And um, when I bought it, I promised I would try to sell it to somebody in the family. So Dan is related to all them. Sure. So you know, I was I was happy to give it to him. He gave me, you know, he gave me a good price for it, more than I paid for it, and I know he'll use it and value it. It's in the family. So I I played bass with. JD and the Buzz for a few no, years. I now I remember that. Yeah, and then of course, as young bands happen, you know, egos happen. Oh people, yeah, people get married. Personalities, they go to college oh, personalities. Yeah. They get real jobs. That band kind of went by the wayside. Yeah, um, I'm still in great contact with uh, John Dixon. I oh, always yeah. have been. He was a great friend in high school. He's of course got his production company. For yeah, John does a lot of film. Frontline Productions. Out yeah, of, I've seen out of some. Yeah, he does some great work. Oh, he goes all over the world. Yeah, he, I, you know a lot of the stuff that you see on TV with the car commercials and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. He um, he's done a lot of it. You just you don't know it's him. And right. the thing about John is he started that business when he was I think in his early twenties. Yeah, and he actually started it in his parents' house, like yeah, in his bedroom on the second floor. Yeah, yeah. Which oddly enough, John Gilmet, Luke Gilmet's younger brother now lives in john dixon's house where he started the business so, See? There you so go. <laughs> i'm connected to a everything lot of is connected to that right so i stayed in contact with john um and after that i just couldn't find anyone to really play the kind of music that i wanted to do and my acoustic guitar playing had come a long way so yeah. i decided to start solo work and i my first solo gig was 30 years ago really at um down at uh, Farrell's restaurant back okay. when Farrell's was doing music. So yeah, I remember. Is, I this is that. actually my 30th anniversary year of playing solo. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, of, of playing out. So I did that for a while and had a, had a great time. Yeah. Um, and then I was in other bands. There was a, um, another rendition of J.D. and the Buzz in the early 90s with John Dixon. His, um, his Now, what, what were some of the clubs that you guys played with them? In the first one... Back, actually, what used to be Tuscany Grill before that, it was, uh, was it the Opera House? Yes. Over there, yeah, the, yeah, the building. Yeah. Before they changed the bar to yeah, the route, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we played there. Yeah. Um, we played at a place in New Britain, I think called the Nut, or the Nutmegger? Nutmegger, yes. We yeah. did that, and then mostly flatbed trailer parties in people's backyards. Those are the best kind. That included kegs and stuff. <laughs> there you go. You know, it was <laughs> it keeps was things, a time period. Keeps things flowing, man. <laughs> and um, the, oh, back in the day, those were the days the, of the beer fests and all that oh, kind yeah. of stuff. And, it was, it was yeah. a lot different. And we did a lot of work out in Moodis at, um, I think at the time, it was the Hilltop. And then it became Knuckleheads. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think now it's a barbecue place. Yes. But we started working out there quite a bit, too. Yeah. And I did that with both bands, yeah. Um, both renditions of JD and the Buzz. The second one was John Dixon and his wife Tracy, yeah, who's a great singer and should sing more. If you see this Tracy, you should sing more. Um, 
I'm David, sure she's going to see it. David Tozier was our drummer. And, oh, okay. And David Tozier used to live at the end of my street when he lived in Portland, and he moved back to East Haddam. Okay. Um, but I always kept in contact with him. Uh-huh. And um, Todd, someone else on bass, what was his last name? I can't remember. He was a great player, an, um, an odd fellow, but he, he, he just was a musical mastermind. Really? And he'd make us the charts and... Wow. He was just easy to work with. So we, we did that for a few years, and then John and Tracy decided that it was, they were going to get married and have kids. Okay. Um, and then there was another band that kind of came out of that where we had two drummers, Bob Smeagle and Dave Tozer. There was two drummers on okay. stage. It was called uh, WABC, which was the Women's Auxiliary Booster Club. Okay. Um, a guy named Steve Grubb um, on bass guitar, which... But, you know, there you we, go. we lose people along the way. He passed away a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and another student from here was a guitar player with John Dixon, and Doug Work was a guitar player, but the student from here was Matt Solak. Yes, I remember Matt. Matt right. was my student there for years. And, and, and Matt, he just became a monster player. Yeah, And yeah. he was just this, this quiet guy, and um, he was just easy to work with. I yep. did some solo work with him or duo work yep. on and off with him. He was a great kid. Um, and somehow John Dixon got a gig playing down in New York City. I think it was '98 in July of '98 at the uh, in the Bandshell in Central Park. Wow, which you see in movies and stuff like that. And um, they asked me if I wanted. They wanted my my vocals. They yeah. didn't need another guitar player because they had three. Yeah, yeah. So they let me play bongos. They gave me a couple of sets of bongos, different sizes, some okay. sticks and brushes, and. You know, I got two drummers on either side of me doing everything, so I didn't have to do much but sing. Okay, there you go. But it was my first experience singing in New York City, which was which was a hoot. Um, nice. And then uh, the whole time I was doing solo work, I branched out, did more bass work with Doug Rourke um, in a couple of different bands. Um, he's out of Moodus. He's a good friend of mine. I still play with him now. Um, so I, I just always kept in it really okay. playing with different bands now you also do some solo you have you have a sax player that plays with you right yeah he comes later on in the story oh, okay <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah actually um i got a call from dave. the next big thing i think was just about it have to be about 20 years ago when i got the call from dave tozer and um he was in the military full-time and you know he was more home with his kids and he he had an idea that he wanted to um Started a YouTube tribute band. Yeah. And originally he called me up and asked if I wanted to play the guitar part. And I said, well, his, the edges work is a little intricate yeah, yeah. and I'm a little more basic. I'm more of a chord player, but he knew, um, this other monster player from out in Moodus. I don't know what it is with the water out there, but Moodus, they have some, yes, some, yes. <laughs> some good players, Yeah, but, uh, um, a big, huge, tall guy, um, Will Dallas. Okay. And, um, he loved you too, and he, and he was in. So it was me, him, Dave, and um, we got a friend through Matt Solek, okay. uh, the gentleman Mike Sell. Okay. And he was a bass player, uh-huh. and we asked him to join, and, and we did that for a few years, and and that was a heck of a lot of fun, you know, because I would dress up like Bono, put the glasses on, and Bono, besides the Everly Brothers, was my biggest vocal in, influence. Really, growing up, I wow. mean. Because I love their music since 1979 when I heard their first single. I yeah. saw them countless times. And, um, and 
I just used to, the guy had a monster set of pipes Yeah. when, when he first started and, um, it was just powerhouse singing and I, yeah. I would drive my family nuts cause I do it around the house. I drive my mother nuts because you know, you could hear me all the way down the street and I, I learned to just bellow out yeah. these Bono parts, which, which I was happy I could do, but it was kind of funny when I started playing solo, I got comments from uh, a couple of other musician friends. They were like, you, everything you sing, you sound like Bono. So I had to sort of unteach myself to sound like Bono okay. when I st started playing solo. And then I got this invite to, to be Bono in this tribute band, Elevation. And then I had to reteach myself to sing like Bono. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But I had, a, I had a great time. We used to play at this, um, this club down uh, in New London, Hannafin's, which it was owned by an Irish gentleman who grew up in Ireland. He moved yeah. here, raised his kids here, and um, he wanted to open an Irish pub. So he went back to Ireland. He went to tag sales and estate sales, and he bought all this furniture and um, all these different pieces and fireplaces. He had them shipped here to the United States. Get the ambiance. To get the ambiance, and he yeah. found an old bank building across from the Guard Art Center down in New London. Yeah, and um, and it was down there. So we had some great gigs down there. Wow. And um, it, it, they just the police down there loved him. You know, loved him. The town loved him because um, he ran a good business. And one St. Patrick's Day, he decided he was going to ask the town if they let him close down half the street next to the guard art center put up a tent and and they agreed to do it they really yeah okay. well you know so we had a tent out there he had the guinness um trailers he had two two bartenders pouring guinness on saint patrick's day and a guinness pour is hard to do from oh, what yeah. i'm told there's an art to it yeah and it takes time and every single one of those beers that those girls did in a flash had a, a perfect shamrock in the foam Nice. Right. So my biggest problem was I was, um, I ended, I woke up sick that morning oh, God. where I had, um, I, I, I had laryngitis. I couldn't sing, you know, and of course it was St. Patrick's day. And since then my doctor determined that I have, um, seasonal allergies, which towards the end of the winter time yeah. are the worst, yes. which I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So there was nothing I could do over the counter to treat it. Years later, I found that. So I, I had almost no voice. So we're at this party on the street, and, and I'm doing the best I can, but they're all Irish people at an Irish pub. Yeah. You choose the biggest Irish band you could think of. Yeah. They all knew the words. So the crowd basically Helped sang every song. <laughs> nice. So um, that, that was a thrill. That, that was just a great time to do. Um, and um, we played a few more gigs with, with that. Um, and then... Uh, there was a chili festival over at the old Tuscany Grill yep. out in the back. And the unfortunate thing was Dave actually had been, our drummer had been deployed. He was still in the, in the guard. Yeah. And um, I, I want to say back then it was Afghanistan. So he was over in the desert. So we got Brian Cottle, who you okay, might know. Yeah. Brian's been on the podcast. Yep. He, he filled in for Dave. And um, it was a whole festival of bands and John Dixon being as advanced already at that, at this time, it was probably 20 years ago with his, with his business. Yeah. He had contacts all over the world. So he, um, he proposed the idea. Why don't I get someone from the other side of the world who I know, um, to bring a screen and a setup, which they did. So they brought a screen over and we, 
it was timed perfectly. It was night over there. So Dave and his unit in the desert watched a screen and, and watched the entire show from over in Middletown. Behind really? Tuscany awesome. Grill live. Oh, that's awesome. Which was a thrill. I mean, Dave couldn't be with us, but that was kind of a neat thing. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, yeah, that was kind of a neat well, thing. There you go. Uh, that's that's John's forte, man. That's right in his wheelhouse. That's what he does. You know, go, going back to U2, okay, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite U2 album? Oh, that's a tough one to answer. As an album, I mean, there's just so many different facets because there's different time periods. Yeah. My, there's different, the first three albums were very basic, very simple, you know, and, and, I, and I sort of liked that as far as the technology. They were using the delays and the reverbs yeah, yeah. and um, some of the effects, but everything was analog. Yeah, yeah. And there was a certain basic sound to that. And then um, they came out with Unforgettable Fire, I think late 83, okay, early 84. And that's when they started to, to really emerge using the effects okay. a little bit more. What was their first album? Their first album actually was Boy. Okay. The second one was October. Okay. The third one was War. Yeah. And War is when they got really noticed. The one with Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Okay. Um, New Year's Day was on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're very basic. They're very analog. And then Unforgettable Fire, um, that album was the one with Pride in the Name of Love. Okay. You know, and that that was what when they really exploded. Yep throughout the world and then the the biggest album i think they had was the one after that the joshua tree yeah joshua and tree. and i would say if i had to pick only one that i could listen to you know it would probably be the joshua tree yeah but they've they've got so many stuff before that stuff after that well that's you know and in the podcast we've been doing you know i think you know uh the beatles are like 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 that they when they first came out they were yeah you know you know with the the bubble gum and the poppy gum, and they kind of transgressed into you know the different aspects of their career. Kind of the same oh, exactly, way, yeah, know? yeah, exactly. And, they, and the Beatles put out a huge amount of material in a short time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they weren't they weren't together all that long. No, if no. you really look at it, the, no. the time period. Thanks so, to Yoko. <laughs> yeah, right. The Yoko syndrome, which which comes up in bands. Oh yeah. There's always the girlfriend of someone. Oh, I know fashion, and my girlfriend can do our fashion. Oh yeah. <laughs> you got to keep Yoko Yoko out of it. Okay. Um, so I would say the Joshua Tree, and, and and I got extremely lucky. I saw them on that tour. We slept out for tickets in front of and, and uh, I can't. It was a pharmacy in. Middletown that we slept out for tickets, a whole bunch of friends. So we got tickets for Pelton, every night. Peltons. Peltons. Yes. Peltons. With a ticket, with a Ticketron there. Yeah. 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 And, um, I got to see them four times on the Joshua tree tour, three okay. nights in a row in Hartford. And then, um, one of the two nights they did in New, the old New Haven Coliseum. Now, where where was Harford? The Xfinity, or is that was that, that was at the the Civic Center? The Civic Center. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. It, it and, was... and it was such a moving show at the time. For the last previous tours, the they'd end their show with the song 40, which was loosely based on Psalms. And it was at the end, on, on, I think it was Psalm number 40. And it was it was at the end of uh, the War album, yep. the one with uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, the studio version. And, I, and I, I think it was the Edge picked up the bass and just did this little thing. And then the bass player picked up the guitar and Bono just sang some lyrics, which came out of... Yep. you know psalm 40 and they started doing it at the end of their show and the last part of the chorus is how long to sing this song 
and um, in all four shows I saw in Hartford, it was it's it, it gives you the goosebumps. But the entire you know they would stop playing, they would play forty at the end, and then the whole crowd singing how long to sing this song, and we didn't stop. We were in the parking garages, we were in the streets, you know, and it, it was just this unified feeling, which wow. I, I was amazed with. Wow. I was amazed with, um, and they don't do that any longer, but it, it was, it was a treat. So wow. the Joshua tree, it was just an amazing. Yeah. I think that that was probably their biggest album. though. It was. And then they had a resurgence in the early nineties with all that you can't leave behind with beautiful day. Oh, okay. Um, when, when you go down the list, there's more songs than a lot of people realize. Um, and I got lucky. They uh, they did the 30th anniversary tour of the um, Joshua Tree, and I got to see that twice. Oh, okay. I got to see it, um, right. I think it was at Foxborough, the new Foxborough building, and then I got to see it at um, MetLife okay. down, down in New Jersey, Jersey. Yeah. which it was the biggest stadium that I've ever been. God, it had to be 30,000 people there. I think it's more like 60 or 70. Really? I mean, it's oh it's gosh. five or six levels. I'd never been to a place that big. And I'm so lucky that my good friend, Karen Ortiz, she's been a U2 fan for years. She's in the U2 fan club and stuff. So when tickets come out, she's on she, it. She, she gets first choice of tickets. So I had great seats and... She she took me to four U two shows in the last ten years and I couldn't I couldn't be happier. I got to see the Joshua Tree tour twice, and then um, they did another tour four maybe three or four years ago. Um, I can't think of the name of the tour, but I I got to see that at the um, the Boston Garden, which I'd never been to the Boston Garden. Okay, yeah. And then um, the last time I saw them was at um, Mohegan Sun. Okay, and we were so close. Wow. So, I mean, they're a huge influence on me and vocally, you know, but the Joshua Tree is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And some of that stuff is, it's almost impossible to sing. How he did it at the time, I don't know. And when he had, they had the 30th reunion tour, his voice. Was starting to show a little bit. No, he he hit everything perfectly. Really? Which is amazing because I know he doesn't have the pipes that he used to. How how can you? He's, well, he's good. I'm 56. He's, he's a good five or six years older than me and. You know, how many how many nights has that guy, you know, sang yeah. his heart out? You yeah, know? exactly. But exactly. they've been inspiring. A lot of miles on that voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a that lot was of hard miles too. <laughs> right. You know. Exactly. So that that was the next band I did was the the tribute band. Oh. Okay. And, and that that was my first experience without a guitar. Without although it. I slipped the guitar in for a couple of couple okay. of songs. Because every once in a while Bono would would pick up a he, he'd pick up a guitar, yeah, right. and some right. things. Um and then it was the big six, you know, with yep. Ed, Ed Macenti, yep. Gordy Folsom. Now, Gordy. Colin Canalupo. Yes. Um, Gordy played with. Uh, oh, um, oh, oh the, yeah, the Connecticut band. That, oh, God, I can't think of it. Uh, I know. You had said you were talking about NRBQ, and it's not that. No, 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 no. But they're the other big Connecticut band that yeah, should yeah. have made it. Um, yes. Uh, ty- uh, no, not Tire Biter. No, no, no. no. That's the other one. Yeah, I don't. It, I don't know why I can't. I'll, I'll we'll think of it. <laughs> I, I think we're showing our age, Dave. You think so? <laughs> and, and we got that CRS disease, you know, <laughs> for, for sure. So but, Gordy was a special drummer. Yes, and he he complimented me one time, and he had, like I said, he he opened for the Almond Brothers, and he yep. played with all these people. He played with this wonderful band that we can't think of the name, um, and. 
after a couple of rehearsals, he took me aside and he said, you know, your voice is incredible. And, you know, you're, you're the singer that I've been waiting for my entire musical career. And to hear that from probably one of the biggest drummers in Connecticut yeah, yeah. of all time, it just it made me feel good. So. Fountainhead. Fountainhead. There you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know how I remember that name? <coughs> okay. Is um, my cousin Candy was a big Oh, yeah. Fan. Okay. And she had a Fountainhead bumper sticker on her Camaro. Everybody did. Yes. I remember that, too. <laughs> you know. I remember that now. And that's how I remember the name Fountainhead. At, at one time, she was a substitute teacher for a while, wasn't she? Well, she was. She taught for, at Gildersleeve yeah, for years. Right. But before that, she substituted. Because I remember, and I, if, if I want to say, was, was the car that she had the um, bumper sticker on, was it like one of those AMC Pacers? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think I don't it, know. I think it was a it was a it was a '67 Camaro. That was, after that though. Oh, oh after that. Yeah. In my era, I don't know. I don't remember. But she used to have the her her plate actually said candy. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep, exactly. I think it was a pacer. Yeah. But this is probably later on after the cool Camaro period. Yeah. But yes, okay. I remember your sister. <laughs> and God. yes, it was Fountainhead. Yes, it was Fountainhead. And and. You know, it was well, just the thing great. about Gordy too. He was phenomenal, and, and he had some awesome uh, uh, backup vocals. He he was the backup vocals, and then actually, um, after a little bit of time with them, he did a lot of the lead vocals yeah. from behind the drum sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's a, there's a couple of things you can find on YouTube of them, and um, it, I, I I spent hours at night sometimes watching them when I couldn't sleep. And well, I think I I think I got a a, a couple of songs of you guys when you did the Portland Fair that time. Yes, we did the Portland Fair. Yeah, probably, yeah. 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 We did because um, the, the the who was the female vocalist? That uh, was after. Oh, okay. She came after me because I was uh, scheduled to move to Indiana. Oh, okay. If you remember, right, you right, know. right. And then, um, of course, you know, I lost my girlfriend. She, you know, she was diagnosed with cancer the year that we were supposed to move to Indiana. Yeah, yeah, I remember. So that. I had bowed out of the band, and then you got another singer. Yeah, yeah, and then. Everybody went in different directions. Yeah. So even when I stayed, um, there's only a couple of those guys around. We, yeah. we talk about a reunion once in a while. Well, you know, I mean, you know, Joe is, he's still playing. Uh, Joe, Joe is Park. great. He's, uh, you know, yeah, if you ever you ever need a, a sax player. You well, know. that was the thing is, is I had hooked up with this uh, the sax player I play with now, Mr. Steve Civitello, through a cousin, a cousin that I never knew on my father's side who happened to walk up to me at a gig out in Moodis and said, oh, I'm your cousin. And I'm like, what? And he was a guitar player, and um, he had a little blues group that he would just play with different players. And Jay Swine, Jay Swine was the name of the band. Okay. And he hooked us up with a drummer who, in college, played with Steve Civitello um, in different college bands and groups with the college okay steve was a sax player okay and after that steve i think if i recall the story was he stopped playing sax wow because he, he was put it down you know i i want to say because we had a civitello that took lessons here and i'm wondering if he took sax lessons here with greg wilkes he was he's older than me yeah, well, Greg is... If he came back and started taking voice lessons, it, it might be. Yeah. Because he, he ended up picking it back up years later. Okay. And that's I, where I met him was through my cousin, Jay Swine. Um, and I, I actually asked him, and he auditioned to be in the Big Six with yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. But um, it just it, it wasn't his thing. It wasn't what he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And then 
you know, we'll move on and talk to how it progressed with him now. Um, but then, I mean, Joe, Joe covered it. And then we had um, Lenny Peruti on the keyboard. Oh, yeah. He put the other parts in. Oh, my God. Put all the horn parts in. Yeah, yeah. But Joe surprised me. And he would have two or three different sax players. I think he played flute. He plays flute. He plays alto. He plays tenor. And then he bought a baritone, man. He's right. got that berry. Right. Know? We were over at the... Um, over in Middletown, it's it's Sliders now. The what's the Cypress? Place? The old Cypress. Yep. We we gigged there quite a bit. Joe and Jimmy were on the podcast, right? Here. And of course, I'm singing up front, and Joe's off to the right, you know. And you know, it was a big band. There was six of us. Yeah, yeah. So there's not a lot of room with amps and this and that. And when it came time for Joe's solo, I hear two saxes, and I'm thinking, who? Who came in and tuned up in the middle of a song that I don't even know is on stage? And I turn, and I look over, and he's playing two of them at the he's same got two time. Two saxes. He's- <laughs> I'd never seen it. I'd never seen that before. Yeah. So that 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 was that was just amazing. Well, Joe played with me in in, in Jason Smith Quintet for thirty right. years. Okay, I mean him and I and uh, John Kalinowski, uh, you know, and later on Ernie Goldick from uh, right from East Hampton. Uh, as far as that, we played for years, and and Joe used to pull that out, the dual sax thing every now and then. <laughs> but it was I had no idea he was going to do it. That was just it just surprised the heck out of me. Yeah, yeah. But he he was a great. All those guys were great, and that that was a fun time period. I mean, I I, I wish you know things didn't happen the way it did. Where right. you know, I was going to move and yeah yeah yeah. You know, we kind of went our separate ways. I mean, I would definitely try to reunion with with yeah, them. Yeah yeah. Well, I know Ed, there. I know Ed enjoyed the band. So, oh, and Ed was, yeah. Ed was great. You know, you know, he, he really, he really he's was. He's a good guy. And I didn't really know him because yeah. he taught here afterwards. Yes. After yeah. I had moved out from upstairs and I wasn't taking lessons here. Well, Ed, Ed was funny because he used to deliver um, or work for the Middletown Press and he used to deliver papers to the paper boys that you remember you used to have oh, yeah. routes and so forth. They used to drop them off at your house. He used to drop them off at, at your house. Well, anyway, he used to... Um, uh, deliver and, and, and be the, the room. And, he, and he's lived on, on Marlboro Street uh, for years uh, and so forth. And then he got crazy one night and he got a DUI, okay, and uh, lost his license. So he was there. So he comes up here and he walks in. He says, <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, do you need somebody to work? You know, so I, yeah, you know. And so he had just moved back from California because he was out in Hollywood. He was out, yeah, he was he out was, there playing was, for a while. Yeah, he was out there with his band, uh, Saddle Tramp, and, you know, they, they you know, did quite well. And then finally, it, it just he just realized it was not going as far as he thought it should go, and he just moved back home. But, uh, but yeah, so he come up here, and he says, hey, so he used to walk here. <laughs> after, yeah. You know, because of, and, uh, right. And he started teaching here and it, it, you know, it's like I say, he's been here like 27 years. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's been a while. Cause the big six was probably a good 16, 20 years ago. Yeah. And we used to carpool. It worked out good because we were both from Portland and we rehearsed in Middletown. So he'd drive one week. I'd drive one week. We, so we carpooled quite a bit. That's good. That's cool. That's so that, that was a fun thing. And then, um, you know, after the big six, I just I really started to play a lot more. I got I got lucky. I um, had done a lot of work over at Tuscany Grill, mm-hmm. and um, I ran an open mic that nobody came to on Thursday nights. It was really just me and a couple other players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we had a, a one good player that this um, guy John Maziars 
who uh, he would come and and he was a great guy and he's look him up John Mays, he's amazing. He's he's got a couple of bands he works with. He's really, a, he's a teacher in the Hartford school system. He'll play like five six gigs a weekend and really he's oh. just he's just amazing. Wow. But mostly it was me. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I had done that out at Knuckleheads a few years before that. I did about a year of it Thursday nights where. It was open mic if people wanted to show up, and one or two would show up once in a while. But it was really just me. Yeah. But um, for me, it, it was more the experience. Sure. It, it had me out once a week yeah. and working Playing. on things yeah. Yeah. and working on new songs. And I had gotten to the, the point where I'm closer to close to where I am now, where instead of just kind of slogging through songs and getting through stuff, I I felt like I was adding something artistically right right so i started playing solo and one night at uh tuscany grill the um owner of the uh, aragoni winery ed manor was there yeah um with his tasting room manager and she came up to me in the middle of the song and she said well we're running a winery in portland which i didn't know about yeah we're opening up and we're looking for music yeah so i gave her my card and they called me up and the first year I think they had one other band, small band, play on their patio before I did. But they gave me every Friday night and Sunday afternoon for a year. Nice. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a win-win. Right. And I think it, I want to say it's nine or ten years. Wow. And I've been there ever since. There you go. And I can't think of anyone besides Ed Manor, the owner, and myself that are still there. I wow. think I've outlasted all the yeah, that everybody. Wow. But they treat me really well and it's 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 great now. He's got a stage in the back on this, this truck. He's yeah, got yeah. tents which um during COVID was wonderful because it was Every, so much space outside. outside yeah. He and started people serving people wanted to go out. Yeah. Servants food and um we could do it and for me it was safe. Yeah, yeah. You know, I could be on stage. Yeah, yeah. And um I had been working on and off with uh Steve Civitello, the sax player. Yeah, yeah. You know, I met him, like I said, with my cousin John and yeah, Jay yeah. Swine. Yeah. And um, we just kept in contact and just played Things here happen. and there. And the thing about Steve is he's like a lead guitar player. Really? And because we've been we've been doing what we do, he, he I wouldn't say he knows my stuff, even though a lot of it's the same, because he doesn't learn all the parts per se. But... He plays underneath my vocal and the guitar to the point where you don't so much notice that it's not a, a voice. He almost plays it like a voice. Yeah. And yeah. then he solos like a guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, we can make songs 20 minute. Oh, yeah. 20 minutes long. Jam band. <laughs> yeah. And and he's just a great guy. He's a pleasure to work with. And um, I, it's when, funny because he asked, oh, how did I play? And, and I and I. And I hear him, but I only hear the maybe five times in all the gigs we've ever had that he's played a bad note. Yeah. That's the only thing that stands out. I mean, everything else is just so smooth, but yeah, then if someone noticed. records us, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to the recording. Um, we did a few things with a little home studio and stuff. Then I listened to his stuff. I'm like, he's just yeah. a great guy. And well, I, a nice thing about that, it gives your voice a little bit of you know he gives it a rest but he compliments no i know yeah. but you know when he's soloing is when he's so which is nice you know you can you can kind of back out a little bit and you know you don't have to well, burn your voice out uh, true and it also adds certain things to certain songs yeah. because yeah. when you get to the part where there's a lead and it's a popular song that people know and there's there's no lead there yeah i'm not one to 
you know, add things. Rip out a solo, yeah. Well, I, how do you do it when you're yeah, strumming when you're, a guitar? You're strumming the guitar but exactly. I'm not one to add like a vocal thing over it. You know, like one of my pet peeves is, uh, you know, how certain songs they'll use na na. Even like Steve Perry, one of the greatest singers of all, um, that song na na na. I'm like, you couldn't come up with a lyric. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I understand that now when you're playing solo, that if you do something vocally during the solo time, it kind of fills it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I just, no, nah, no, nah, I can't do. So yeah. having Steve is wonderful. You so, it's it's like having a guitar player. So when you when you develop your repertoire, what do you? How do you work on new tunes? What do you? You have a, a specific it's developed. genre. It's it's kind of funny. No, I don't. I've been trying to expand out a little bit more now. I mean, when I first started, it was I I was never an advanced guitar player. Yeah. I I took lessons in high school, like I said, in junior yeah. high school through Ned Guitar, but. To be honest with you, I didn't learn much. The yeah. thing about he would play, he would play the piece in the book, and then give you the piece to take home. And I would watch and listen to what he was playing. And yeah, I'd yeah. go home, and instead of learning how to read the music, I would just mimic what he was right, doing man, by by rote. And I got straight A's, you know. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I I never learned actual all. I don't necessarily play like note for note right. on, on records and stuff. So basically I'm a chord player. So I, I, I would learn, I started with basic yeah. three or four chord yeah. chords. Um, then of course you discover the capo hey, and then the capo brings you up and down. Yeah. You can be playing any key. <laughs> and like I said, I didn't, I didn't initially play, start singing and playing guitar at the same time. So it took me a couple of years to develop, to being able to do some more advanced parts. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, I know some of the stuff by heart. I still got these books because you know what it's like. You encounter certain songs that somebody wants to hear once and then you get a request and they yeah. want to hear it. And there's a staple that you, you should have in your repertoire, but you're not going to, you don't have the time to sit down and learn it. Yeah. Yeah. Heart, you know, and yeah. memorize it by heart. Yeah. So you have it in a book. I yeah. mean, a lot of people have it in computers, but I, I still have some of the music sheets that I hand wrote. 30 years ago in my book on stage with me. I there have, you go. I have three now. So it, it, it it's actually kind of nice to have them. Yeah. And it's nice to have a lot of those songs. A lot of the songs, I mean, I don't, I, I've been trying to replace some of them now because for a while I, I was just getting lazy. Yeah. Really. You know, you, well, the truth, you know, especially if you get, you have an audience that, that, that sees you all the time. It's nice to introduce some new material. It is, you know, you know, and you get in the, it's easy to get in the pattern though of just, okay, I'm just yeah, going to stay compl with complacent. Yeah. Complacent. Right. And you know, you just do the ones that you know. So I've, I've been adding them as I come along. So it's a combination. I always try to do something that either people have begged me to learn. Yeah. Um, even if it's something I don't necessarily like, but it's things that I like, things that are vocally attainable for me and yeah. that I can sing well, because I try not to do anything that I don't do well. Okay. And sometimes it'll be a lesser known song. I'm, I'll probably got a half a dozen, maybe 20 songs that some people never heard of. Right. You know, by different groups that weren't big. Yeah. I, you know, I used to do a lot of Aztec two-step, which were from Connecticut. Yeah. But most people aren't familiar with the songs. Yeah. But I try, when I throw those in there, I try to do them so well that it doesn't matter that the people didn't know them. They like them. Yeah, yeah, And exactly. most of my music typically is a little bit older. Um, as of late, there's more of a resurgence of the guitars and vocals. Um, 
acoustic guitar and vocalists now. Yeah, yeah. You know, on the radio, sure. And sure. On the internet, has all these players that. You know, it's not like radio used to be where right. you get to make an album, you make a CD, a cassette tape, right. eight track, whatever it used yeah. to be. You know, it's it's just very different. It's all on the internet. Right. But that's starting to come back. So there's some more music available. But most of my stuff is from the 60s, 70s, um, not much from the 80s. And then the 90s is a period where y y you think of all the harder groups, but there was a lot of other songs or they did an acoustic song um that that work well acoustically yeah you yeah. know so and that was when mtv unplugged was huge yep so i did a lot of that um i would pick out songs from there but so i i try to just do stuff that i really like yeah um stuff that's popular mm -hmm. stuff that i do well and then every once in a while i find something just by accident that that, that works. What, what's your most requested song? My most requested song actually is a song that you wouldn't think that a guy would sing. It's actually Landslide, the Stevie Nicks Landslide. Really? Okay. Yeah, and I found it by accident. I had been requested to learn to play it so another singer could sing it um, for someone's service. And I and I did that, and I it was just beautiful to play. And one day I was at home, and I started singing along, and... And it, I ended up finding a part of my range which I never thought of. Uh -huh. um, but that's probably my most requested song right now. Wow! Yeah, wow. It was landslide. Wow, Stevie Nicks. I yeah, and and, and 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 I'm amazed that I and I'm happy I can do it. I usually do it later because I have to be warmed up for it. Yeah, I can especially imagine. when she hits that long note, and I and I try to powerhouse that note and yeah showboat it and you know do it as as long as i can yeah yeah but that's probably my most requested song nice nice yeah. and then yeah second requested song second requested song ah uh, well it used to be um with or without you from you too oh, okay you know that, that that's another one um I, you know, the nice thing about being at the winery is you're up on the stage, so far away from the people, so you don't get a lot of requests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, I would say those two, nice. th those two, um, and then there's the ones that I do at every gig that I just I, I feel like I, I do really well. Yeah, you know, and um, with Steve, it's great. Like we do a great rendition of Into the Mystic. Nice. We we do that really nice. Nice. And. Um, that's one of my favorites. I, I guess oh, let's say that it's one of my favorite ones. Instead of worrying about what's my most requested, one of my favorite ones is that one. Wow. We do a good uh, good rendition of um, what's going on from Marvin Gaye. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then lately, I've tried to add things. And being a vocalist and liking certain songs that aren't in my key, yeah, it's the capo. There you go. Right, and. Um, but the other thing is, is sometimes they'll throw you those drop tunings, like yeah. a drop D, or everything's recorded a half step down or right. a full step down. Right. And um, I just don't have enough guitars, and I don't want to lug five guitars to have different Set tunings on yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I like to have the one and the backup. So um, I started trying to find ways using the capo to to get around that. Yep, you know, I, I I I saw one guy play once, and he had a little case of capos and he had them all over the place and he you know it's really intricate but i was just like i wanted to i always wanted to learn the song copperhead road by steve steve earl which came out in 88 yeah. 
it's a little bit low for me. It's in drop D tuning and it just, the drop D just never worked for me. It takes too much time to turn it down. Yep. And tune it, it was back just up. a little bit out of my, a little bit below my range. So I said, how do I, how do I do this? So I take, I took the capo yep. and I put it upside down. Um, and I left the, you know, on the second fret, but yep. I left the bottom E yep. open. Oh, okay. and so I do it, it. It's almost like drop D or drop E tuning. Oh, it's okay. like D tuning moved up. Okay. And, um, and I started doing it and, and you wouldn't know that it's in a different key. Wow. And, um, that's one that I added recently, which I enjoy playing with. Yeah. There's another group of guys, which includes Steve, um, John Dixon, Doug Rourke, um, a couple other guys, uh, Robert Moncavo, his brother, uh, Pete Moncavo, and um, a good friend of mine, John Cronin. And we just added a female vo vocalist, and we call ourselves the Four Horsemen. And it's just a group of guys that I'll book a gig, and most of them don't want to get paid, and me and Steve get paid, and whoever can come just volunteers, and we just do stuff off the cuff. Nice. And um, we... I invited them about a month ago at the brewery. Okay. And I threw Copperhead Road that way, and it was probably the best thing that we've ever done as a group. Why? So we're we're actually going to be down there. I think it's May twenty Sunday, May twenty fourth, cool. where it's listed. And and now the the group is exploded, where it's a revolving group of nine people. We call ourselves the Four Horsemen, and then and there's a woman now too. Okay. <laughs> we still do. We had a few more. Yeah. So. Um, Copperhead Roads one. And then another one that I um, recently added, which um, I had tried to learn way back in the 80s. I was uh, I was a fan of Harry Chapin. Yeah. And it's not that he's that intricate, but he was quirky yeah. the way oh, he yeah. played. And um, the song Taxi, I, I loved. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much going on and so much that his band did, and I just wasn't advanced enough. And I, I got frustrated and never looked at it. And um, someone close to me suggested it recently. Yeah. You know, and I was at her house and she put it up on her her TV screen on her phone. And she's like, you know, do you think you could do it? And, you know, I just stood there and, and, and I recently added it. And it, it it's funny because a lot of people don't remember the song, younger people. But anybody who remembers the song Taxi knows every word. Sure. And there's always two or three people in the audience. I've probably done it a handful, maybe five times now. Okay. And there's always five or six people. They know every word. And the thing about that is I had a really good falsetto back when I was much younger. Yeah. Bono used falsetto quite a bit. I don't have I don't have it all the time, but there's that song that that part in Taxi um that Big John Wallace. Yeah. I think he was either the cello player or the bass player and he sang it, but it's a different kind of falsetto. Okay. It's almost a he he more sounds like a woman a guy trying to sound like a woman in falsetto. So wow. I've been trying to do it that way. I've only succeeded doing it live twice. Um, so it's it's given me something to, to kind of work for wow. vocally. But th that's going to be a favorite for me. Nice. To, to play. Nice. All right. So I, I don't know if you've listened to any podcasts. John always has questions. Okay. Sure. Okay. Go right ahead. I ramble so, on. So No, no, no. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and one of the questions he always says, are you are – you, uh, 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 Consistent practicer of your instrument. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get on that. As of late, I try to do it more. Okay. I right. try to do it more. For, for me, a lot of it is, is I'm, I'm very private about learning it because I, I perform and 
you know, I, I rent in a multi-apartment, you know, an apartment building with multi-people yeah. and, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And I'm my my schedule. I'm usually not out of work till eight thirty at night. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work with everyone else's schedule. So I mean, when I lived here at the music store, it was no problem. I was working third shift. Yeah, yeah. In a residential home. <laughs> yeah. And. I, I would play all night long yeah, at yeah. full volume, yeah. you know, <laughs> just 20 feet over there. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the luxury of doing that anymore. Wow. So a lot of times when I'm inspired um, and, you know, I just had a hard time the last six years after I lost my, my girlfriend, Jenny. Yeah, yeah. After she passed away. Um, just a hard time just getting motivated to yeah. do it. So uh, I know. lately uh, I have been. Yeah. You know, well, so not, now I'm trying. So okay. not generally to answer that question, but I'm working on it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Now there's a, uh, a desert island, desert island food. Okay. If, if you if, food, yeah. If you could only eat one thing every day, what would it be? Well, I'm type two diabetic, so it's 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 a double edged question because it's okay. <laughs> if it's the only thing that I could eat. And I'm stuck on a desert island. If it's the thing that I want, I'm not going to be alive very long. <laughs> but if I eat the stuff that's going to keep me alive very long, I'm stuck on this island for a long time. <laughs> on a salad. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, I'd I, I have to say pizza. Okay. Uh, I don't, I, I can't. Pizza's all right. I can't stay away from pizza. <laughs> pizza. But I, I, I guess Cheese. Just say cheese. Okay. Well, <laughs> Make my doctor happy. Cheese. Because I, I love cheese. I'm like a big rat. Before you, uh, you know, we had, speaking of pizza, okay, John had, uh, one of his guests was Dean Falcone. I don't know if you did. Dean is a music producer down in New Haven. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know he works with Shelly, the Shelly Velasquez experience, I believe. Yeah, well, he also produced yeah. the pizza story of New Haven, okay, which oh, is okay. basically um, what they do is they... Chronicalize, you know, that supposedly pizza was invented in New Haven. So now that you got the big three, you got you got Sally's, you got Modern, you got Pepe's, and yeah. I think, and whatever. But anyway, the, the night that okay, uh, Dean showed up okay to do the podcast, he brings three Sally's pizzas up here. Oh, really? Oh man! I, and I had never had a Sally's pizza. Oh, New Haven pizza's the best. Oh my God! It's just like holy crap! Yeah, it was it was great. And he says, yeah, he says, and he says pizzas are you know. He's a, he's an aficionado as far as pizza goes. I, I've never met Dean, and yeah. I, I knew Shelly, who 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 I believe he plays with. Yeah. When she was young, through um, a friend of mine I used to work with at Elmcrest, Ed Velasquez. Yes. Um, who uh, he's he's got a studio, and he works with a studio out of um, Boston. That's what he's right. been doing for a living. Right. Um, so what a goof. Yeah. So um. Is there like any leftover no. for me at the <laughs> end of the show? Those have been long, long. <laughs> so, uh, you mentioned Elmcrest. Speaking of, El have you been over there lately? I well, I'm not allowed on the property without trespassing. Okay, but um, you have to. I no, but I can see it. I can see that there's nothing left with the mansions. The, the, yeah. There's nothing left. I uh, if you want, I I took pictures. Uh, there's pictures on the town website, uh, Brainerd Place. Okay, you can see. Oh yeah, okay. I'll I'll go and look it up because I've been following that because I I worked there seven and a half years. Yeah. Well, you, as you know, I grew up on Perry Avenue. You, yeah. You were the last house on the, the last right. house on the right. My parents was the next to the last house on the right. But I, you know, I took pictures before and after, and then you know they go down there now and or when they when they tore down the houses it. it was, all it was torn down. There's no houses left on that side of the street anymore. Only only, only Markham's house is left. They're the only ones who didn't. Well, they they. 
he was uh, he knew Fred Hassan, who's the owner of the property, yeah, and they worked right. out a deal. He's supposed to be out of there this month, so, so they're going to take that. Yeah, one they're too. taking. That I knew they're expanding yeah. it. Yeah, they're I'm glad it. they saved the mansions. Yes, and the historical society did a wonderful job. I've been following it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was always wanted to go back there. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, when it was, I left there and moved to a different place because it was unsafe. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. before the the awful incident where the young man yeah. lost his life there, yeah, um, safety was an issue for me, and that's that's why I left. But um, oddly enough. I had um, when I left somehow I had I had come upon and nobody wanted it back. Nobody wanted responsibility for why it was missing. But I had I had a master key to everything in the place. <laughs> See, there you go. Which I still have somewhere, but I don't think it's any good now no, because everything's anymore. gone. Anyway, awesome. <laughs> fantastic. So anyway, Paul, hey, thanks so much for coming down. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think this is great. Uh, and again, you bring it. And, and it's amazing as we do these podcasts, it's, it's amazing how all of the dots connect in one way or another. You know, Dean, you know, the, you know, and, uh, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, John Dixon and, you know, uh, unbelievable, you know. So, uh, so. thank you so much. Uh, right. So before you go, anything else? Um, well, the 10th year in a row or ninth year in a row, I'm going to do the um, the shameless plug. Me and Steve Civitello at um, the Aragoni Winery, um, which is on Mother's Day, our annual Mother's Day gig. We do it every every year, one thirty to five thirty. So uh, me Mother's and Steve Civitello. Yep. M- All Mother's right. Day. Be Thank there you. or be square. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our John Peckman podcast. I'm your host Dave Kosminski, filling in for John, who was. Uh, uh, was quarantined last week and unfortunately has COVID this week. So uh, Paul was, uh, Mr. Sankowitz was here. And uh, as John always says, that is all. <laughs> <laughs>